Hey, hey, welcome back, friends, to another broadcast of In the Trenches, the show some people are calling the best thing since NASA hired Don Petit. Today, we have a very special episode. But first, quick shout out to Sir VB for his five-star review on iTunes. He had this to say about In the Trenches, quote, Tom has a down-to-earth approach to interviewing and gaining insights from great guests. In the Trenches is a great listen with practical advice. Highly recommend. Thanks, VB. Appreciate you. In today's broadcast, I sit down with real estate investor and coach Chris Prefontaine. After many years of doing independent deals and coaching other real estate investors himself, Chris Prefontaine founded Smart Real Estate Coach in 2014, bringing in his son, Nick, daughter, Kayla, and son-in-law, Zachary, to help grow the company. Chris and his family team coach investors on how to properly scale and automate their real estate investing businesses throughout North America, all without using their own cash, credit, or taking out bank loans to buy property. Chris and his family buy and sell homes in their own market every month and then mentor, coach, and consult students and associates all around North America to do the exact same thing. And that's how they stay current because they're actually in the trenches themselves. So, of course, what an appropriate person to have on the show with us today. And on today's call, Chris and I talk about real estate investing during a pandemic, the do's and don'ts, how to buy a property with no money down or credit, the real estate outlook into late 2020 and beyond, what economic forces will come into play in the next six months and how to capitalize on them, or at least how not to lose your shirt, why making deals outside of the conventional loan system is more and more appealing for both buyers and sellers, and much more. Listen, if you enjoyed today's show, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or your podcasting platform of choice. We're on all of them to the best of my knowledge. And if we're not, shoot me an email over at tom at tomworks.com and we'll get that fixed ASAP. I appreciate you listening. I hope you get a ton of value out of today's broadcast. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. So Chris, before we dive into real estate on your terms and some of the stuff you're doing with investing in real estate right now and that you're teaching others to do, Let's take a few steps back. How'd you get to what you're doing today? I'm pretty sure you weathered the storm about a decade ago through the real estate crash. Um, and maybe it even starts before that. But how'd you make your way into real estate? And what have you uh, learned through that? Yeah, so it was, it was actually 91, 1991, so almost 30 years. The, um, the start was building some single-family homes. I had never been a builder, but teamed up with someone that, that was in the, that field. Uh, stuck a bunch of signs out on lot owners' uh, property with their permission to pre-sell homes and then ended up building the home and paying the owner only at the end of the deal once everything was built and funded. So it was uh, pretty unique without knowing we were doing terms. We were doing terms. Then I bought a bought a realty executive's franchise, sold that to Coal Bank in 2000, from 2000 until the crash that you just alluded to, uh, doing our own deals, really, construction, uh, raise the roof, uh, condominium conversions, a little of everything. Only thing we didn't touch is large, large apartments. I still don't. Um, and then that led to what you just said, the, uh, the lovely 2008 debacle. Um, that, in hindsight, is why we're doing what we're doing today and why we built the model we built today. So I'm, I'm thankful for it, but you couldn't have convinced me of that back then. So we'll jump around a little bit because I think there's some learning lessons from your career earlier, and especially like in the 90s and the 2000s into what you're doing today. So I will jump around a little bit here. But I hope it makes sense as I ask these questions. But I'm kind of sure. curious. So you mentioned that like these experiences have kind of... You've adjusted your model and how you invest or how you approach investing. Can you give me an idea of what that meant before and what that means after, like now? 
versus what it was before? Yeah, yeah, very applicable. So before it was real conventional, like most, you know, we speak at RIAs. Uh, we used to speak on the country, now it's virtual. But when we speak, we hear people saying, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm saving up for my next property or I'm putting down X amount and going for a conventional loan because money's so cheap. Okay, that's all cool, but you have to sign personally. Yeah. So prior to 08, it was signing personally on, on properties. And I don't care how good you think you are or how good your credit is. It doesn't matter when there's a market dip. The bank's coming looking for you. and You get everything at risk. And so after the crash, we said, okay, if we were to go back to real estate, we're so beat up, what would it look like? And it, so all the things we were challenged by, we said, well, let's not do them. Let's not take our bank loans. Let's not sign personally. Let's not go out and raise investor money because that's more stress. Let's just not do that. Let's buy everything on terms. So that's what we built. We've trademarked some of those systems that we've built, but we've built it all to be as recession resistant as possible. I won't say proof. I don't think anyone can say that, but recession resistant. And then not knowing that obviously everybody would be hit by COVID, that came along and it's another storm, but it was the model was built to weather the storm. So we didn't just survive during this, but we thrived and so did our students like three times in our business because there's a whole bunch of people that need our help right now. So it's a very positive thing. I had someone on my show before coming on your show and they said, well, we're doing well, but we don't like to say it around our friends. And I said, why not? You're doing well because you're helping a lot of people. You wouldn't be doing well. So that same goes for our model. And so with this model, how do you how do you set it up exactly? And I know you have like obviously courses, programs, coaching for this, but mm-hmm. if you can zoom in on it, kind of the basics, at least like the foundational elements, how do you have to think about investing in real estate? Because I agree. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of experience. I don't know how much people have in terms of experience with real estate investing who are listening. So they might be starting from absolute scratch. And I think sure. I think most people think about, yeah, I get a loan and probably understand the concept of leverage. But at the same time, that's maybe as far as we go for most people. And even that proposition is very scary because of some of the crashes we've had and whatever this thing is, you know, building up to be, right? Yeah. So like anybody who's overly leveraged, it's kind of might be some concerning times here. But but zoom in, give me give me an idea or, or zoom out what your structure is for this and how you approach it. Yeah. So thank you for reeling that back in. So I when I say terms, I'm talking about one of three things and two are a little bit one is a little bit more advanced. We'll go with the first two. But the first two would be lease purchase. So you as an investor buying the seller's home lease purchase and or owner financing. I know some people are, are okay with the word owner financing, but it means so many different things. So let me define these two for you. The owner financing to me, uh, to us as a team, is a niche owner financing, which is just with properties that are free and clear. So there's about a third of the properties in the United States that are free and clear. We look for those or seek those out more aggressively depending on what market and what student it is with. And then we structure usually full price offers because they are debt free. They're looking for price as long as they'll give us a long enough term because the punchline is we're making monthly principal payments to that seller. So instead of bringing bank money to the table, the seller said, in, in, in essence, I'll be the bank. And we structure monthly payment that we're comfortable with they're comfortable with, but it's all principal. So they get a premium price, but we're getting principal hammered down every single month, which is a tremendous recession-resistant tool. So that's that's the owner financing model as far as buying. On the um, lease purchase, we talk to a seller, and again, it's different scenarios. Someone can be over-leveraged, under-leveraged, you know, a lot of equity. But we talk to a seller, let's say with a little equity, let's say that's you, 
uh, Tom, and, and let's say you and I agree your house is worth 300 just for this model, this, this discussion. And let's say you have a 50 grand equity, you owe 250. A lease purchase says, I'm going to take over the underlying debt that's in your name. I'm just going to make the payment on your behalf. That doesn't change. I don't go on any loans. And I'm going to, at the end of the term, unless you use three, three years for a term, at the end of the lease purchase term, I'm going to pay off your 50000 in equity that we guaranteed you at the beginning of the term, and we're going to pay off that underlying loan. But that underlying loan, remember, is no longer two fifty. It goes down every month, right? Any loan, even if it's amortized. So at the end of the term, we're going to pay off the loan, which is less than two fifty. So we benefit. We're going to give you your fifty. How are we doing that? We're putting buyers in all of these homes that need time to get bank financing. And with COVID, it's just through the roof. How many people need this this vehicle? And so we're going to rent to own to them until they get financing and then pay everything off. So with that one, it comes down to... So this sounds... Um, I don't want to get too complex, but how does this um, relate to things like options and like buy, buying homes with options and stuff like that or investing with options? It sounds like it's kind of close with lease to purchase. It kind of made me think a little bit of options, contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, good question. So the, I can tell you one difference financially is when someone's doing options or flipping or wholesaling or any of the niches that I've been in, it's one deal, one check, right? Mm-hmm. One deal, one check. You flip an option or you do a wholesale. The difference with these is we get, we trade three paydays per deal. And this is one of the things we've trademarked. So the first payday is my buyer is not a renter. My buyer is a true buyer that needs time to qualify and they come in with a non-refundable down payment. The second payday is the difference between what I'm paying on the underlying debt or to the seller and what I'm getting from my buyer every month. That averages $300 to $1,000, payday two. Payday three is at the very end, I mark the house up at the beginning for that buyer and I have the principal pay down. So all three paydays for that little deal I just described, on average for us, is $75,000, one to five-year terms. So you start piling five, six, eight, 10, 12 of those, you have a nice spreadsheet going with predictable income. And our students run 45,000 to, to 250,000 and up. But our average is on the lower side of our family team is like 75. And so, so it sounds like in that context, at least in the, the lease purchase, although it sounds like maybe you do this for the owner financing example too. There's like, so there's that, like, that's how we exit. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So there's like kind of three parts of the equation there's the owner of the property. There's the there's you, then there's the the buyer. Is that always the case, or there's or that, or 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 how how might it be organized? Could it just be you and the owner? Um, it sounds like in the one case, the lease purchase, it was like somebody who had a hard time qualifying, say, for a typical mortgage and who had to rent to own until they could own it. Um, so is that always part of the yeah? On the buyer's side, it's always going to be someone that can't qualify today, and that's not always credit. Sometimes it's. Uh, what the bank calls seasoning, you know, the self-employed. And years ago, pre-08, you could go get what they call the uh, stated income loan. They just literally state their income. There's no proof needed. And those aren't available. I mean, this, the product exists, but it's super expensive. So they go to the bank, let's say they have good credit, and they have a good down, and all of a sudden they find out, well, I haven't bought a house in 10 years. You can't do that anymore. So they have to get what's called seasoning. That's usually a couple of years of, of proper income reporting. So they're a great buyer. A buyer that needs a little credit repair is a great buyer. But these are all buyers that need time for one thing or the other. On the on the selling selling side, at least purchase you kind of embed with that seller till the end of the term. It's their house. It's in their name. The mortgage is in their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas an owner financing deal, when they sell it to us, I own. It. I have the deed. 
Uh, the only difference is they have a note on the property, a mortgage on the property, like a bank. And so, uh, hypothetically, on their end, if you didn't pay, they'd be able to take the property back. Is that correct? Something like that? Or, like, what's like in terms of that, like the safety net for that person who's selling in this yeah. context? Um, what, yeah, what are the what are the concerns or things we have to not even necessarily concerns, but what are the things we have to factor in here? Like, wh- where could it go south? And what are the things you guys do to, or the stop loss things you put in place so that, well, I guess doesn't hit you too bad? Yep, uh, good question. So on the selling side, owner financing, depending on what state they live in, they could foreclose, obviously, just like any bank could. Mm-hmm. So we would forego anything we paid in all those months. Uh, but what's easier, and some states don't allow it, is if a seller or their attorney expresses a, a concern about that, it's usually you might not have done a good job credibility-wise, right? But if they do it, bring that up. Then um, on a couple of occasions, we've said, hey, no problem. I, we know what we do works. We perform what we say we're going to do. So let's put a deed in escrow back to you, Mr. Seller, so you don't have to foreclose. And that deed in escrow is accompanied by a simple default agreement, a few sentences that says, if I don't pay, you go record and you own the property now. There is no foreclosure. Mm. So uh, all but one or two that I've run into state-wise, um, you can do that. And attorneys like it. They say, okay, great. So they screw up, get aspect without without foreclosure expense. Yep, that makes sense. Now you also mentioned you can do this, and this is—it's interesting because, like, the lease to purchase um, structure and kind of what you're doing here. You know, when you describe it based on people who have, like, say, a need and they just need time. Okay, so it's pretty obvious how that's appropriate to today's current environment. I think there's a lot of people who are um, on the credit side who have gone through. Well, I would just say I don't know. I guess we could say bankruptcies. A lot of them, um, or have 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 challenges with their credit because of that. And have to wait years before they can uh, take out like a new loan. So that that's one group of people you mentioned: um, self-employed people who might not have that typical, say, W two track record, and who are interested in purchasing now. Outside of that, I'm kind of curious: like, where, how do you how do you go about setting up a deal like this? Because it's multifaceted. Like, do you go find the buyer first? Do you go find a person like this? Do you go find the property? How does that? How do you put it all together? Yeah, we actually get the property first. Everyone asks us because, uh, unfortunately, in, in most niches like wholesale, I know teach that you have to build the buyers list first. Not the case here. And here's why: the tougher part is finding the property. And during COVID, that piece wasn't tough, but it's tough. It's the tougher part of the deal. So once you find the property, we market all of it online. My son is is our in-house buyer specialist, and he also works with all the students on this end of it. But we syndicate to several like 20 something different portals but it's simple things that you would know like rent links uh craigslist uh zillow and when you put a property out and you basically say things like you know having trouble qualifying during this chaos or can't get a bank loan today or your credit needs work you put any of those headlines you are hitting about 82 percent of the market and now growing because of covid of buyers that can't get a loan today, but they're valid buyers. They just need time, help, and work. And so there is there is never a, a, a shortage of those buyers. Never. I've read some disconcerting things regarding real estate recently um, about... And again, this is all Reddit. haven't experienced it myself. But about extensions or... or, or and again, I haven't gotten into a ton of details. So it's mostly when I'm, I'm, what I'm talking about is like headlines or things I've heard from sure. some people. They haven't hit me yet. But so in general, here's what I've heard, and I could be could be wrong on this, so correct me if, if I am. But it sounds like some states are becoming more lenient about when people stop paying 
say, their rent and then start squatting. But we're not talking about that here, are we? So that's not something we have to necessarily worry about, is it? Actually, you sort of do. But here's why it's not as prevalent. This is another great, like, timely question. Um, if you look at our entire network of associates doing deals, and there's like 90 of them around North America, plus us, there are, I can count on a hand how many homes they had an issue with um, someone not paying. And it wasn't because they're a tenant and they go, oh, good, thank you. The government said I don't have this, I don't have to. Now, most of those don't realize they're going to have to come up with it at the end or get thrown out. Ours are buyers that have an option on the property. So even though the tenant law does protect them, if they unfortunately had a COVID you know, mishap, the law does protect them. We can't throw them out. But most of them do whatever they can do. And that's what we're seeing because it's tied to an option. They're not just a renter. Right. Very, very, very important. So we had one home uh, recently that we had to put it back on the market, uh, open market, not rent-owned market, of a woman that serviced schools. And I forget what she did for a niche, but she serviced schools. So she's out. I mean, she has no income and she has no family that can help her. So unfortunately, she's in that 2 to 5% of the homes for us that don't get to the finish line because they have life events. Mm. But luckily, uh, in our niche, we are dealing with buyers versus renters. So that's the anomaly, not the norm. Got it. Okay. So it's, I mean, I think structurally, that's, that's definitely different too, or different than kind of maybe what most people, what some people be used to, at least what for I sure. am when I think yeah. about real estate investing. Okay. That's fascinating. So, okay. So you guys don't really, you haven't necessarily run into that as any kind of like hurdle or sticking point. Um, it sounds like that's, and again, I think the, because it's the buyer and with an option to own, right. It kind of, it's, it's kind of, it's like a self-mitigating factor almost in it. Like that person doesn't want to give that up. Is that kind of the context? So Yeah, it really was. And I can't tell you that piece of the model was vetted out, right? We know what happens when a buyer is a life event. We know which way we have to pivot. But we didn't know for certain. Nobody, of course, knew. Once COVID happened, okay, would they would they try to buy some time or are they going to live through their option? And they're living true because remember, they all put a non-refundable down payment down. He said earlier. So why would they risk that? And they do risk it. If the rental piece doesn't stay current and they don't have a valid, you know, COVID mishap. Yeah. So let's zoom in on this um, because I, I, there's a few questions I want to ask about this. So, like what you're describing too, it sounds like um, your your the types of properties you're looking into, you you probably whittle them down. Like in terms of, you're probably only looking for certain I don't know classes or levels or whatever it is. Like in the past, I've heard like. A level, B level, C level. I don't know if that's for commercial investing, you know, or, you know, so are you looking for like high quality homes or like mid, middle to high quality, high class? I don't know how you describe this or define this or categorize this, but is there a specific type of property that's like optimal for something like this? Because you said, no, the first thing you want to do is find the property. So like, I'm just thinking to myself, well, where should I look? Should I look local? Should I look more broadly? Is there, are there any filters that I should use to search for something like this? Okay, a few few things in that in that one question. That was yeah. a bunch of cool things in there. So one is okay. where to find it is always local. People say, well, can I work in a different market? Well, like wholesalers are used to that. They can work all the country. Land people can work all the country. There's no reason to in this niche. You work right around 50 miles from your house yep. that you can drive to, and you get more than enough leads that you can possibly handle. And where do they come from? Uh, expired listings, meaning for those not in real estate, those are listings that realtors had, and they just couldn't sell them. Or uh, for sale by owners are great, and for rent by owners uh, are great. So um, those that's the main sources. But remember what I said earlier: a really lucrative deal is the owner financing free and clear house. 
So you can buy that list. If you didn't have enough leads from those three, you can for you know 50 to 200 bucks buy a list of free and clear uh, properties and then target those two. So that's where they come from. And and they are, yes, they are nice houses. So on occasion you'll get one that needs work. We we don't have to touch it. We can actually put a rental and buy in there that's a handyman person. Um, mm-hmm. that, those are easy and lucrative, but most of them are very nice moving home. And you're typically doing like like a single family residence up to like maybe a fourplex or something like that with deals like this? Uh, singles and twos are very easy to do. Uh, four and up, four to ten we like for terms, but not for rent to own. That's buy it on the financing, run it like a regular building, you know, improve the NOI. We've done several of those. The threes are kind of stuck in the middle because in my opinion, they're not big enough to run as an income property mm-hmm. and they're not treated as that from a lending standpoint. They're treated as a, as a residential. And then because it's three units, it's tough to say the family can take all three units. They can usually do two. Yeah. the in-law situation, but three is tough. So we don't do threes. Okay. Yeah. Now, but can you do this, Tom, with anything? We bought our office building on terms. Can you, can you buy a car, boat, plane, anything on terms? Yes. We just teach single families and then whatever else comes our way, we help them do. That's awesome. So let's say I'm, 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 I want to get straight to the chase. So I'm just going to pay like a couple hundred bucks to get the leads of houses that are free and clear. Uh, what's, what's your process after that? Do you, do you start cold calling? Do you start sending letters? Well, especially since we're doing this local, what's your approach? Yeah, so the, the, the leads that I said earlier, the expired FISBO and for rent, we have a virtual assistant call those. We actually have a team of them that we've trained. So we use them, our students use them. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you're going to buy the list of free and clear, you're going to mail them likely a postcard or uh, a handwritten type letter. It looks like a handwritten letter, but mo- a postcard is what we've been using recently because of COVID. It's so easy to do it online and not to mess with any services during mail. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty inexpensive. I mean, you can mail a couple hundred. I'm not talking thousands and tens of thousands of dollars a month. I'm talking like mail a hundred or two postcards every other month if that's the niche you want to go on. But we usually help people decide if they need to do that or want to do that. And what are you trying to... What's the goal with this one? Kind of direct response style. We're trying to get them to like call a number on that postcard, call you back. And then like... So how do you take it from there? Yeah, just to raise their hand. So if they raise their hand from the VA call or the postcard, then then someone... In our case, it's it's my, my son-in-law, Zach, or our seller specialist that literally just came on. And if they're a new student, they're calling it back themselves. And the beginning conversation is simple. If you called me back because it got your attention, you don't really know what we're doing yet. My question to you would be, Tom, um, say you were an expired listing or free and clear, it doesn't matter. If you got your price, are you open to doing that on lease purchase or owner finance? They usually say, what is that? Or right. no, I want a conventional sale. And we say, yeah, 99% of the population does. But right now between COVID, the banking, the qualifications, that's not happening. So this is a great plan B. And then we explain why that's a great plan B. So if, if a person calls because they're relocating, they need the money, they have a family, they have to have that equity to buy a house, we're not the buyer. But every other scenario we can help. So let's say... So then, so there is some sort of educational process here, I think, kind of built into this in terms of because it's not a typical uh, transaction process. So how many conversations do you think you have to have with and I know that is completely variable independent, but what would you pr- predict? Like, you know, in terms of like how many conversations you have to have with people before somebody's like, yeah, let's do this. I'm interested in this lease or owner lease purchase or owner financing. I can give you the exact metrics. Uh, we track them. We suggest we highly suggest that the 
associates who we call students, they track them. Mm-hmm. We speak once the, the virtual assistant procures a, a what we call a property lead sheet that basically was a seller like you that said, eh, I guess so, or maybe like have someone call me, like nothing over the prop motivated yet. They're just open. Once we speak to 11 of those, we're usually able to get an appointment, and albeit that's virtual now. But once we speak to 17 of those, we have a property under contract. And once we speak to 25 of those, we have a property that went under contract that sold, has those three paydays. So long and the short of it is every 25 property information sheets that is generated, so leads, we're getting a sold deal. Uh, and so you can, when you have the metrics, it's not, I know that sounds boring to people, but when you have the metrics and the data, now you, now you have a business that's scalable and predictable. You're not winging it just as an operator or a solopreneur. That's fine to start that way. So I tell our students after six months, I want to know your numbers, but for now, borrow ours. Yep. Do you, um, it, what's like, would you say like the administrative burden is for this? However, you want to define that. Because like once I kind of wrap my head around the deal component, once I've like, say I'm getting this deal underway, like how hard is it to administer or manage once it's kind of gone through? Okay, so when you buy when you buy yourself, which most start by themselves, and you're you're at that okay, I'm trying to get my first deal point. There's not a heck of a lot to do except for phone work, right? Mm-hmm. So that's okay. I'll I, I always think it's easier to answer with a, with an exact example. So I just interviewed someone for our podcast. We call it a family cast because it's one of our students. And here's the roadblock he ran into when we asked him about the same question you asked. He said. Well, it's easy. I did my first one, and then I took two other properties under agreement. Then, then they sold one. Well, in between taking the three and selling one, the flood of buyer calls can be daunting. So we usually tell people after you've gotten to that like three or four deal mark, three seems to be the number that I suggest people. I tell them to bring on not a VA to call because you already have that, but a VA to help you administratively to keep you on the phones. And it's, we've got the training for it, the automation for it. So all they have to do is make that move to do that. And as you probably know, VAs are fairly inexpensive. Even the great ones that we have in the US that are, that are super trained, they're not over the top expensive relative to you going out having time to get a $75,000 or $100,000 deal. You can justify that all day long and we show you how to do that. So, so let's zoom in on that, how you guys do things in particular, because we kind of we talked around it a little bit and zoomed in. But, but how, how do you guys work too? If somebody's listening, is like, okay, I see you guys take care of some portion of this. How, how does exactly does that work? And how do people work with you? And what, what do you guys provide versus what is somebody else? Like, what, what would I have to take care of? If I'm, I'm really interested in this concept. So, yeah. yeah so uh, on, well, where we differentiate uh, ourselves, I have a, a shirt on if you're on video that says Bridge the Gap. It's one of our themes, one of our missions. And that is, I think there's a lot of junk in the real estate education space that has mismanaged people's expectations. Like, you can get rich tomorrow and this is easy and, you know, a million dollars in the next month. None of that's true. It's going to take time. So, we, our role with the student is to provide as much support as possible because our mission of the company is to complete transactions. We have a, a set number, a set mission, the community knows it. So, it's not about selling you a course. It's about, hey, if you're serious and committed, and that doesn't mean full-time, like most of our part-time, if you're serious and committed about this niche, Let's do deals, period. So we have a basic course that they can take online. Some do that and go run and do deals. If they want to do it more quickly, they team up with us. And we revenue share on the deals with them, but we do the deals with them. So we're calling sellers with them. We're calling buyers with them. We're analyzing calls that they did. We are in the trenches with them. 
until they do a certain number of deals. And then obviously they can fly, you know? And how does that structure work? Like if somebody was like, oh, I like, I like number two because number one seems like, oh, I can never get around to studying <laughs> the thing I want. Or, you know, I don't know. I feel like yeah. a lot of people have that challenge where it's like the, the bottleneck is themselves almost. And it's like, oh, if somebody could help me with that. I'd be very enthusiastic by it. So how does somebody go... Like you guys, I know you mentioned something about like 90, I think 90 people you work with right now. Like what's your capacity? How does somebody come and work with you? Do they have to apply somewhere? How does it work? Yeah, they have to apply. It's all application because we are super protective of the what we call the Wicked Smart community. Um, and, and the community appreciates it because they've, they've made a commitment to do what they're doing in, in either the group coaching level or the individual coaching level where either my son-in-law at one level or myself at the higher levels, or a certified coach at one of the levels can help them. And so our capacity is not... Scalability is easy because we've got, as the higher levels do deals, we certify some of them as coaches. And so they have a choice depending on what involvement they want and how serious they are. Obviously, this would be over strategy call. But there's a group uh, environment or there's a hands-on environment even more so like as needed as they do deals. And you mentioned something a little bit about like how you guys kind of work with that person kind of more directly. So you guys like, are you like joint venture partners? Is this like a limited partnership or I'm probably mixing up some terms here. <laughs> so like, how does somebody actually go into that? And what can they, what, what, what should they expect to, um, I guess, what should they expect in, in that regard, like to the relationship? Like, are you guys going into deals together? Or is it like them? Yeah, how, how does that work? Yep. So we, we used to call it joint venture, coincidental to your question. And for legal reasons, we call it associates now. We're just associates because we're not on the deal. Right. When they find a deal on 123 uh, Yellow Street, they put that contract in their own LLC name, which I'm going to do it, obviously, but they put it in their LLC name. And then we're paid a revenue share as a consultant on that deal. And, and then there's a certain amount of deals where we call it capping out. So if you were a student, at deal 10, for example, on one of the levels, you have no more obligation to do any revenue sharing with us. And frankly, by the time you do 10 deals, you're at most markets, somewhere between 800 and 1.5 million in earnings in all three paydays, and you get it. <laughs> you didn't do 10 deals with us and not get it. So that's why we came up with that number 10. Got it. Very cool. Okay. So, so taking it back here in, in terms of like, um, you know, in, investing in this market too, I still think there's probably a lot of people who are fine. Current events really disconcerting. Yeah, um, I, I I feel like real estate's still strong. Although, of course, when you hear things like you know, like I mentioned earlier, we talked about. Although I know that doesn't um, factor into the types of deals and types of arrangements you guys are structuring. But long term or even short term, what's what's your what's your picture of the real estate market and and investing in general? Well. Uh, here, here's my deal on that. I, there's no magic ants and, and the list is going to like, okay, what's he going to say? But the fact is, uh, the billionaires don't know. The economists don't know. I, I had uh, Jared Robbins coaching me from January to June. He's Tony Robbins' son. And he very nonchalantly one day said to me, a great second month of COVID said, yeah, you know, my dad, Tony was sitting talking to Ray Dalio. I mean, you're talking big names. And he said, there's one thing certain. We all know for certain. There is that nobody knows. That's the only certainty. So what do I personally think? I think that um, uh, it's not an opinion. COVID is kicking up in a lot of states. States are being shut down again. So it looks pretty like definitive that there's going to be shutdowns again everywhere. And so the real estate 
right now there's some extreme urgency in the seller's market. Buyers are rushing with the rates and with COVID on the rise for the fall. They're rushing to buy. So great seller's market right now. But that, I think that's going to change again towards the fall when we go back to where we were in the spring. Number one. Number two, all these forbearances that were given on, on properties, if they weren't government backed, then they don't automatically put the payments on the back of the loan. They do. Like now in August, they do now. And I just was told a stat on my show, a guest told me this, said 30% of the mortgages in the United States right now are in forbearance from COVID. 30%. Hmm. That means I, you tell me all 30% didn't get hurt and they're going to be able to pay that now. They owe three months right now. No way. So this is, that's a big problem. And if you're in real estate and you know how to fix it, what do, in any industry, what do you get paid well to do? Help lots and lots of people provide value. That's how you get paid very well. So that's what we're positioned to do in this niche, thankfully. Uh, and so we have the opportunity to generationally affect families, if you think about it, like generationally, because it'll go the other way if we can't. Yeah. And with uh, with with this model too, um, I know we, we mentioned like once you start, if I think part of this is you, you, it's do you, do you make money on the on the cash flow as well as the transaction? Is that right? Is that how it's structured? Yeah, on our on our deals. Oh, with the students, you mean? Yeah, or or, or for, yeah, yeah. for the so student, we make money yeah. on all three. Yeah, all three paydays, just like our okay. home deals. Only it's with them, and we get a small share. Got it. So like, so if somebody's coming into this, it would be a way for them. It's not necessarily like I do, I do this like a wholesaling or flipping or something like that, where it's just on that transaction. There, there's a possibility for producing cash flow through this kind of structure, like for that person who wants to get into this kind of investing, right? Like if I wanted to. Oh yeah, big time. So that's that number I use. Like um, the two extremes are uh, Claudia way up in Arizona averages like forty five or fifty grand all three paydays, and Bill in DC and Mike in California. They average like 150 to 250 per deal. That's one deal. So they're getting now money, cash flow monthly money, and then back end money. That's that's like for any business owner, that's the ideal cash flow setup. Think about it. Yeah. And and so with this, um, how how difficult is it to would you say? I know you mentioned this the the metrics, um, because it's kind of an unusual process. I know these are unusual times, so I think people will be more apt to like have these conversations. Uh, to figure out like a to make a deal happen on something like on their own property. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm kind of still curious for that person. Kind of, I know I'm going back a little bit on this here, but I was just curious. Like, is this something that can be done part time side hustle st- style, or is this like complex enough where I kind of have to, I really have to kind of go all in to figure out how this works, and then even in, even negotiating the transactions and stuff like that. Is it like a part time, or am I looking at more like no, this is kind of will take up quite a bit of time. No, most of our students, um, I, I will say all of our students, with one exception, came to us as part-time. As of this week, and we just interviewed him on the podcast, we had our seventh student retire, quote-unquote, from their job and go full-time real estate, which is really cool, especially during these times. So they come part-time, they, some stay part-time and love the value of, hey, mm. I'll do three deals a year at 100 grand you know, or whatever the number is. Right. And others say, all right, Chris, here's the deal. I can't stand my job or now with COVID, I don't want to fly anymore or whatever the deal is. I've heard it all. And can you help me structure a plan to have me out in a year, in two years, whatever it might be. So Brian Tay got on the podcast and said, on the show, he was talking to my son and I, he said, look, I've been at this company 17 years. When I joined you, 
my goal was to be done in 18 months and move over full time. That's a pretty lofty goal in and of itself. And then he moved it to a year and then he moved it to now. He's giving his notice this month because of COVID. But that process took him seven months. He's done six deals and that's a game changer for him and his family. He doesn't have to get on the plane anymore. So long answer to your good question. Part time is perfectly fine when we structure a strategy to make that work. And with this structure too, this is all kind of transactional, right? Um, do, do you... In these, the context of what we've been describing or talking about, me, if I'm like, want to get into this kind of investing, I'm not going to end up, I don't end up owning anything, right? It's all effectively, I, I don't. In that re- regard, it, it minimizes my downside risk of ownership, right? Or do, am I capturing that correctly? Or are there cases where? Uh, half. So um, a third, well, a third. So the least purchased properties, you're never owning it and you're never on a loan. Yeah. The, the owner financing, you are, you are, yeah. your entity is owning it, but you are not signing precedent still. Right. And there's a third way we buy that's more complex, but, but you would own it too. You want to own yeah. it, ideally. The, the sandwich lease is great for new people okay. because it takes literally no money. The, the ownership ones can take a teeny bit of money because if I buy your house as a seller and I say, I'm not giving you any money down, Tom, Who's going to pay the transfer tax? You can't expect them to do that. So we pay the transfer tax when we buy it on the finance and do nothing. Wow. So you and, and that's mostly the case. Like you don't find that like oh, half the time you have to put some sort of some some amount of money down on top of that. It's mostly just like paying those kind no. of transaction fees, so to speak. Yeah. No. I mean, look. Here's an example. Chad in um, Colorado lives like literally in the boonies. Like he lives in the mountains. He did. He's done four deals. But the first three. First three. We're on a financing where he bought the property with his attorney. That day, had the buyer come in. He made these contingent upon a buyer. We'll just take these on. He had a buyer come in with a down payment. All three of them on a financing deals. All three of them six-figure deals. And he's new to real estate. But it took him about nine months to get there, right? It takes time. That's awesome. I also live in the boonies a little bit uh, in the Colorado mountains. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, maybe I got to keep my eyes out. Because it's like near impossible to get a property out here. Well, definitely, I think it's like impossible to get out some for less than half a million. Although, you know, when you look at the averages around here, as you go towards Aspen, it's like a million plus. So, yeah, the numbers kind of check out. Yeah, his were like um, his were like four fifty to six fifty, yep. which is a really cool range because you got a nice down payment. Yeah, and it doesn't get into balloon loan terror. Uh, I guess that wouldn't even matter here anyway. Interesting. Uh, some states, I don't know yours, yeah. but, but they, all, they all have a limit. It's just matter of what it is. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, not not a lot of lawyer here, guys. So go go find your own lawyer on yeah. that. Go check this stuff. But no, this has been fascinating. So Chris, I know there's a real estate book that people should pick up. It's called Real Estate on Your Terms. And this, I know people can pick this up. It's an Amazon bestseller. You can go to amazon.com and search for Chris Prefontaine or Real Estate on Your Terms and find it, pick it up. I've read through it. I think it's a solid book and I think it's worth owning. If you, especially if you're getting into real estate investing, I think there's a lot of stuff, even if you didn't want to go this model, say, there's useful information in there and useful um, knowledge. Is there anything that we haven't covered here that you think would be pertinent to anybody who's... Again, the, most of the audience here will probably be looking and doing this probably part-time, maybe as a side hustle or something like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe a lot of them haven't gotten into real estate at all. Any, any final thoughts or words of uh, you know, advice for them, somebody who's just getting started in this space? Yeah, I just, again, fresh on mine, the guest I had on my show and I talked about this and that is, it, I don't care what niche you're going to go into because I'm not so naive to think, yep, this is the only niche. No, of course not. There's great niches in real estate that are booming right now and there's some that are hurting. It doesn't matter what niche. What does matter is two things. One is look into whatever niche 
on YouTube, on, you know, there's free sources to do that. Uh, the book, the webinar, go look cheap or free. Then once you find a niche, find someone who's actively doing what you want to do and has achieved what you want to achieve. Like actively, they're not a marketer, they're not, it's not a has-been. And then the, the third piece is super important. And that is they've gone through at least one economic cycle which means they probably went through that plus a curveball of some sort like COVID, not COVID clearly, but like 9-11, mm-hmm. um, the, the economic cycles. I've been through four. And it's important because you do not learn from success. You learn nothing from success. And in fact, they can, they can be scary because you get too cocky. You learn from the storm and the cycle. And so make sure you, you're attaching to that. That's all. I love it. And where can people reach out to find you, learn more about you, or connect with you? Uh, they can go to smartrealestatecoach.com if they don't mind listening to me babble for another hour. There's a free webinar. I'm big on free. Um, and they can just go through that. And there's good content in it. It's not going to teach you how to make a million dollars. It's going to take what you and I talked about, put it on the screen, put numbers to it, and allow you to say, okay, I, I do want to learn more. Or no, that's not for me. I love it. I think it's fantastic. So go check it out, guys. Listen, I, I still think... I, I personally believe in real estate still. Um, and I think, I don't know, I don't want to predict the future, but I think it's a strong, strong position to be in. At least dabble in it a little bit. I think this is a good way to get started. So go check it out. Real Estate on Your Terms uh, for the book on Amazon. And you guys can, of course, search Chris Prefontaine. Uh, any relation to the Prefontaine that broke the four-minute mile? No, I... Do you uh, get that a lot? I, yeah, we get it all the time. <laughs> I, I, I have a brother, Steve, but he's alive and well. And no, no relation, but I love the story. Yeah. I love the book. I love the you're, you're, you're breaking your own four-minute miles here with this... Uh, with this real estate <laughs> investing. It's fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris, for being on In the Trenches. It was a real pleasure having you. Thank you for sharing your uh, insights. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you having me. Of course. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.